Well, we're going through the book Isaiah, and I told you guys we we're going to do a flyover, a 50,000 foot view, remember? Yes, hello? Okay. Today we are going at Mach 3. We're going to fly quickly. Um, and so if you'd open up to Isaiah 26, I know we were in 13 last week. We're in 26 now. I, I, did you feel it? Wasn't that crazy? It's like teleporting. Actually, though, we're going to cover, we're going to cover all the chapters in a moment. Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll get you one. So Isaiah chapter 26, we're not going to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord yet. We're going to kind of go through, um, we're going to go through a quick Passover. Um, Isaiah 13, uh, we finished 12, and Isaiah 13 begins a section that ends in uh, Isaiah uh, 23, 18. So chapter 13 begins, and then it ends in chapter 23, verse 18. And this is all where the Lord prophesies against the nations. It's intense. So for these chapters, for these 10 chapters, he prophesies against all these nations and, and through, through Isaiah. And uh, it begins with uh, prophecy of judgment of Babylon. And then you can mark this down because this is something you'll want to go back and visit later. Uh, if you wonder who Satan is, it's covered in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. You see Lucifer and you understand where he came from, who he is. It's kind of a cool passage. Uh, and then chapters 15 to 16 is a judgment of Moab. Uh, chapter 17 is a judgment of Syria and Israel. And there's Lucifer, fallen angel. Uh, it's the creepiest picture I could find. I thought it was kind of cool. You can kind of see the one side of it and the other is melting. Help me, I'm melting. It looks like one of the monkeys out of Wizard of Oz. Let's just look at that for a while. Okay. All right. Ch- chapter 18 is the judgment of Ethiopia. 19 to 20 is judgment of Egypt. And then this is cool. Uh, if you want to go and visit this, uh, chapter 20, verse 2, Isaiah walks around in his underwear. It's part of his judgment of uh, Egypt, and it, it makes sense if you read it in context, but I just, I thought I'd stop and share that with you, because that's kind of, <laughs> judgment of Babylon, Edom, and Arabia is chapter 21. There's uh, Isaiah walking around in his underwear, little boys pointing at him. <laughs> I don't know, in that picture, Isaiah is yoked, isn't he? Okay, where were we? Uh, chapter 22, Judgment of Jerusalem. Chapter 23, Judgment of Tyre, which is an interesting one also in Ezekiel. Uh, and then 24 and 25 is a final judgment of the world. This is like eschatology. Eschatology is a simple statement that means study of the end times. And this is kind of the judgment of the world where, you know, you're either for him or against him. This, we're drinking his water, breathing his air, and living on his dirt. And we do things by his word. And if we don't, we'll stand before him and say, well, I don't believe in God. It's okay. He believes in you. He believes in you. And, and it's like saying, I don't believe in gravity. It has no bearing on whether or not gravity exists. God doesn't need you to believe in him to exist. He's here. And he's come that you might have life and life more abundant. And apart from him, everything implodes. We go through anxiety, fear, trepidation. We struggle. We wonder what life's all about. But with him, he's given us life and life more abundant. Everything falls in line and starts to make sense. And we'll cover it momentarily. But at the end, listen, there, there, is, a, there is an end. One thing everyone in the room has in common is that we had a beginning, we were born, and there will be an end, we'll die. We all have it in common. It's, it's, it's certain. Death and taxes. And taxes, you know, that, that will end soon, but death will, will be the end of our time on this earth. For time to exist, there needs to be a beginning and an end. That's why the, the, the candidates had to follow the time. That's why we look back at the watch. It's like some of you going, I got lunch plans, right? 
And, and today is my granddaughter's one-year birthday. We're going out, you know, having a good time. So I want to hurry. That's why I was saying that. <laughs> but time will wrap up. It's the second law of thermodynamics that everything reduces to its least common denominator, and we're going to reduce, and this is going to be the judgment of the earth. God's going to, he's not going to strive for man, he's not going to strive with man forever. His, his, this is a season of grace. God is calling you to be reconciled to him. Reconciled is, a, is where we get the word religion. Religion is a Latin phrase, it means relongari, to relink, to reconnect with God. There's only, there's only two ways, there's only two religions in the world. There's God's religion and man's religion. Man thinks that you reconnect with God by do's and don'ts. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do. And you can earn his favor by what you're doing. God's way is there's none righteous, no, not one. We can't earn his favor. He is holy and without sin, and no matter how hard we try, we still fail. Instead of us trying to get to God, God comes to us. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt with man. He left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross so that he could die in your place and pay the penalty so that the sin that separates you could be put away and you could be reconnected with the God who created you. In a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit, in Thessalonians it says soma, psyche, and pneuma, body, soul, and spirit. We have a body, that's the soma. We have a psyche, an intellect, where we can think. And then we have a pneuma, which is the spirit of God. What happens is when, when we sin, God is separated from us. So we're, our body's telling our mind what we're supposed to do, and we all get addicted, and we struggle. And then our mind, we listen to what everyone's saying, and we're all driven by whatever everyone judges us to be. But when the pneuma comes in, and, and we're reconciled to God, and we, we, for, we, we receive his forgiveness, we become a brand new creature in Christ. We're, we're a trichotomy again. And now the spirit tells the mind what the body's to do, and we operate in that context, and it's a whole new world. It's a whole... Uh, that's a song. <laughs> and those are the two religions in the world. Those are it. And you say, well, I can only be two. Well, every other way is you're trying to earn God's favor. In this one, you just receive it by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you get peace with God because you receive his sacrifice. He pays the penalty, and that takes away any separation from you and God. So you have peace with God. And today, we're going to see the peace of God. You see, in, in chapters 24 and 25, this is the final judgment of the world. I wish that, as I said with, with, with Pastor Michael McCurtis, and, and he recounted last week, I wish that there wasn't a doctrine of hell. It would make my job so much easier. But the reality of it is, no one spoke more of hell than Jesus because he doesn't want anyone to go there. He puts a big barrier there. It's a battleship of the cross. And to get to hell, you have to step over Christ to enter in. He's saying, stop. I plead with you. I beseech you. I beg you. Because the only way into heaven is to have remission of your sins. And the only way to do that is the blood of God had to be shed. And you have to receive that as a gift. A gift is only a gift if you receive it. You see? And so the Lord declares that there is hell. And hell is just simply men and women saying, I, I, I don't want anything to do with you. I remove you from my life. And God says, okay. Everything that hell is, heaven isn't. And everything heaven is, hell isn't. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, life more abundant, love, joy, peace, patience. All that is heaven. Hell is the opposite of that. And if you think, oh, I'm going to go party with my friends in hell, you have no idea what you're saying. It just doesn't work that way. It's awful. And, and we've been created to live forever. And it's like living 
miserably. I always think of Silicon Valley's idea of, of, of accomplishment, that they're going to create a robot where they can transmit all of their conscious thought into a robot. That right there to me is hell. It's like... <laughs> but the one thing is this, this pneuma, this spirit of God. We've been created with that. It will always be there. You can transmit your, your thoughts. They're going to come up with all kinds of ways to transmit. But your soul, uh, that doesn't live in a robot. Doesn't live in a robot. So this final judgment of the world, if I were to go through these, uh, it would take a while. But suffice it to say, it's intense. But I will say this. I'll give you a synopsis of 24 and 25. God wins. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> now let's move to chapter 26. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 1. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. This is the song of the righteous. This is their heart being touched by what God's done. After they've seen all this, they're like, whoa. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground, he brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness, O most upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have, ex- we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. You know, the, the inhabitants of the world will only learn righteousness when you occupy and let people know of them. And this is what sets people free and blesses their lives. Let's pray and we'll ask God's blessing on the study of his word. Lord, as we memorized you, Holy Spirit, this verse this, this morning, John 16, 8, we're so grateful that you provide for us all truth. And your word says that you, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. You say in James, Lord, that if any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of you. You'll give freely to him who asks. And so today, Lord, we ask that you do just that. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would open our eyes and give us understanding to your word. And for folks that are just struggling with fear and, 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 and just all the, the trepidation of this world, I pray today's message would minister deeply to their heart. There's so many trials and struggles and needs in this world. But right here in this place right now, by your living word, I pray that you'd minister. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. You know, in the judgment of Tyre, in Isaiah 23, it, it, he destroys the shipping industry in, in one of the judgments. And, and you think, wow, that's, that's pretty heavy. You know, the world would question the wisdom of destroying an entire shipping industry. And you think, why, why would God do that? And, and yet, God had another idea in mind. He wanted to put down pride. He wanted to put down pride and, and establish a new civilization based in justice. Not injustice, but a new civilization of justice. I like what one author says. He says, those who gained immense wealth by trading on the high seas, who live like kings among the nations of the world, God humiliates for their godless conceit. 
As the scripture says, the haughty eyes of men shall be lowered and man's pride abased. God alone will be exalted in that day. I look around the world and I, I, I look at folks, the elite, and this, is, this has been the struggle of mankind, which is so unique. And in the history of the world, again, to have a constitutional republic where we understand man is created in the image of God, our, our Declaration of Independence states this. It goes through this idea, our constitution is established, and, and I've asked people, how many rights does the constitution give us? And the answer is none. It was designed to protect the rights that God gave us. They had put this together. It was brilliant. And, and yet every other religion, excuse me, every other government in the world is an oligarchy. The elite, the, the few rule the many. And, and they become their serfs. And, and they suppress their liberty and their freedom. And they, and they know that, that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the first thing they want to do is suppress an understanding of your relationship to God and keep you away from that and keep you enslaved. This massive elephant is, is controlled by a little stick because the elephant doesn't realize the power and the authority it possesses and, and yet it's, be, it's, it's been paralyzed by fear. Did you hear that? The only weapon that the enemy has is fear. And he paralyzes you to think you can't make a difference. You can't make a difference. And then you get these insane people that step up and say, well, I want to make a difference. And you look at the thing. You need to get on your medications. <laughs> but you also look at guys like Gideon with 300 men to take on innumerable odds. You look at a guy like David when he was a ruddy little boy going against a, a 9 foot 10 inch giant when all of Israel was paralyzed in fear. He went down and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistines that defies the armies of the living God? He didn't see a nine foot, 10 inch giant. He saw Goliath through the eyes of God and he's just puny compared to a God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. And this is what happens all of a sudden when you're invigorated by the presence of God, you're no longer afraid because the only weapon the enemy has is fear. And all of us live in fear. And what fear does is it paralyzes us. And in that paralysis, we begin to try to somehow cope with the fear. And so we take on the world's ideas of fear. We want to suppress it. I watched a terrible movie. Do not go see it. It, 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 it. it was awful. Absolutely awful. My wife wanted to go see Overboard. I, I insisted we go see this movie called Upgrade. I thought it was going to be like a, uh, a really cool spy deal, um, like a Jason Bourne kind of deal. And that's what the preview looked like. It wasn't. <laughs> it was vile. And my wife is like, let's go, let's go. I'm like, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It didn't get better. <laughs> One of the things in marriage that, you know, you struggle with and you just make sure your marriage continues is when your wife says you're always wrong and, and you never, you always, you never. And that, that bugs me uh, because she's always right. <laughs> she doesn't do that. I'm just kidding. And, and, and so we, we watch this movie, and, and in one of the scenes in the movie, it's, it's this guy, his neck is broken, and, and he takes a computer chip to you know, bring together his spine so he can walk again, and, the, and this chip is designed by this you know, uh, Silicon Valley guy, and, and it takes over the brain, and it speaks to him quietly, and he can answer, and, and it gives him supernatural ability and read stuff, and, you know, and it's like, wow, that's kind of cool. And, and then it begins to take him over, and, and, and he's getting ready to take on some bad guys, he goes over and he's in a bar and he takes a drink of alcohol and the computer says, why are you doing that? It messes with the circuit boards. And, and the man's response as a human with a soul, he says, you know, you're just ones and zeros in this binary code, but I'm a human being and I can't forget. And we want it to go away. 
And so what we do in a world where we struggle with all the imagery and all the issues that we face is we try to inebriate ourselves. We try to intoxicate ourselves. We, we, we go after all kinds of weird things to try to somehow, and we listen to the voice of the world. And, and, and we start looking in a mirror and seeing what the world is saying instead of what God's saying. And all of this is a challenge for mankind. And now you've come into this room, God has drawn you by his spirit this day, and as he's drawn you into this place, he speaks to you by one verse, and this is the one I wanted to focus on. Because if this is all we have to look forward to is the end of the world, we're in trouble. You can put it back to Isaiah, but that, that's, that's not something to look forward to, right? And then God gives us this verse that I want to share with you. Verse 3 of chapter 26 God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord because he trusts in you. Isaiah says it. He says, you, Lord, will keep him, you and me, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then it goes on to say, trust in the Lord forever for in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. Now, I love this idea of perfect peace, perfect peace. Think about that. The world longs for peace, but we have really screwed up our understanding of what peace is. We've gone back and forth through the ages of trying to obtain peace, and, and, and here we are hoping that come uh, June 12th, we're going to be able to have peace between North Korea and the rest of the world, and nuclear disarmament. We hope that there's peace in the Middle East. We're always striving for peace. And, and, and you know, everyone who comes to these council meetings on Tuesday night, it's probably going to go to one in the morning. It'll be over a hundred speakers and yeah, Jeff will be there, but please don't speak long. Uh, and, and we have folks on the right, we have folks on the left and folks on the left say, this is about loving people and immigration. Folks on the right say it's about criminals and, and, and putting them in jail and having justice. And, and these are folks are about love. These folks are about justice. These folks are about love. These folks are about, it's, it's all convoluted and you listen and you, and what I think about in relation to Tuesday night is I think, Immigration, very clearly in the Constitution, is, is a federal issue. Immigration naturalization is a U.S. constitutional issue. And if you have any question about that, just read it. And here you have the state of California that has violated the U.S. Constitution. Yep. So all the communities coming out and asking the city council to go against the state and support the federal government. Of 58 counties in California, there isn't one sheriff in any county that still does a 48-hour detainer for any illegal immigrant that's violated the law. And here's why. Because when the sheriff in Oregon stood up and did a detainer for ICE, holding this, this, this criminal, this illegal alien criminal, the federal government sued the sheriff. So now we're in this place where the federal government's not supporting their position, and the state is in violation. It's my wife's hair. It's really beautiful. The state is in violation of the U.S. Constitution, but the federal government, and granted, the federal judge that legislated that was a very liberal judge, but we have limited resources, so we're going to take on both the state and the federal government and the county because some of the cities agree, some of them don't. And, and now we're in a quandary. But we're also looking at the doctrine of the lesser magistrate where we're trying to protect the citizenry by pushing against a larger entity to protect the citizens, because quite honestly, it is a violation of the federal, uh, of the U.S. Constitution. And I'm going to propose that, that we stand in opposition to it. But to what extent do we do it? We have to be very, thank you. I may be one of five votes. But in addition, remember this. Where's the protest in front of Henry Stern's office 
in Jackie Irwin's office. I mean, it's easy because you can come in and speak to us and we'll do our part. I'll do my part. But if you really want to change, we didn't get to this place overnight. We didn't get to this place overnight. We have to understand these principles and apply them. But one of the reasons why we struggle is because we're intimidated. It's a behemoth. You have a supermajority in the Senate, supermajority in the Assembly. Every judicial branch is covered by somebody in, contrary to, to our political beliefs and scriptural beliefs. And we have AB 2943, which is wanting to take away our First Amendment and 14th Amendment rights. And, and it'll, I'll be outlawed in preaching certain aspects of the, and, and all this. And the intimidation of that, that will, you, know, you can be sued and you know, all these things are happening, Right? It can be frightening. It can be paralyzing, right? But what I love about this passage of Scripture is the Lord says you will keep him in perfect peace. Not just peace, perfect peace. It's like peace, peace. Let me do that again because I thought it was funny. Peace, peace. Okay, good. Perfect peace. And how do we get that? Can we buy it? No, we can't buy it. He gives it to us. Uh, let me read to you what Jesus says in relation to this passage of Scripture. And it's, it's, it's in John 14, 27, if you want to note it, and I'll read it. It says, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world, not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, the opposite of peace is fear. And Jesus says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace do I give unto you. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If God gives us peace, then why would there be trouble? We're going to face, we're, you, you step into the fray. You're going to face conflict. I got it this week, I'm going to get it on Tuesday. And, and I, I look at our school board members, what they're up against. They're getting beat up in the newspaper, all kinds of things. And they want to stand and, and they say, well, they're banning books. And they're, they're saying, no, these are vile books that parents should be aware of. And they're contending for parental rights. And, and this is the issue. And, and we talk about ad hominem attacks. And, and, and when people come to the dais to speak, they, they threaten you and they, they say mean things about you. And I, I watch the school board meeting. I'm, 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 I just think, gosh, thank you, God, that I'm a council member, not a school board member. The attacks are awful. We, we get a little bit at the council and, and, the, and it's an attempt to intimidate you and you get letters and emails and threats. Oh my. And yet the Lord says, wait, Rob, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The idea on this is Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, be anxious or be afraid for Nothing. Be anxious or afraid for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. When I get up against these things and my chest is tight and my heart is racing and I have anxiety and I'm laying awake and I'm thinking about the email that I received or the comment or the whatever, I begin to pray. Because the scripture says, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, but by prayer. And then supplication is, God, I ask that you would supply what I'm lacking because I can't process all this. Lord, would you take it? And then thanksgiving, God, thank you that I have you to lean on. 
I have you to trust in. I have you to receive wisdom from. Thank you, God. And at that moment, when I let him know my requests, I have asked for his supplication, and I have extended to him thanksgiving. At that moment, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, floods into my soul. It's an unspoken word. As it says in Romans 8, it's groanings too deep for words. If you were observing me driving in a car by myself, which would be weird to do, camera with audio, and I am pouring out to the Lord all of the concerns and and attacks coming from places I never even fathomed, you would hear a lot of groaning in the car. And then you'd see my countenance change. Michelle, oftentimes, she'll, she'll, I, I do praying in the shower, and she'll hear a noise in the shower. She'll go, are you all right? And she's, everything, you grow, yeah. Nah, it's, I can't even describe it. I don't even know how to describe it. And it's just groaning's too deep for words. But in, in that time where God is supplying those needs, and I'm giving him thanks, He's giving me a love for my enemies. He's giving me this peace that surpasses all understanding. He's guarding my heart and my mind that I'm no longer paralyzed by fear. And, and I come out of that just like, all right, let's go. This idea of groaning's too deep for words is a way of communication. Look at this. This is, this is out of Mark uh, chapter 7, and I want to read it to you. This is where Jesus is healing a man. Mark chapter 7, verse 31, again, Jesus departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee, and then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. He was deaf and dumb, and they begged him to put his hands on him, and Jesus took him aside from the multitude, and he put his fingers in his ears. You can kind of see in the picture, he's got his fingers in his ears, and then later it says that he spat, he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, Jesus groaned. He groaned and said, Ephaphatha, which in Aramaic means be opened. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I had a speech impediment, I wouldn't try the word Ephaphatha. <laughs> but he says, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Now, this is a man who could never hear and could never speak. So we, for, for, for idiomatic speech to occur... For idiomatic speech to occur. Here I am. I am making noises with my mouth. I'm making noises with my mouth. And you know exactly what I said. I said I'm making noises with my mouth. Because the forming of these words entered into your ears. You formulated that those mean something. And I, I transmitted a thought without writing anything down. Because we have a language. And idiomatic languages are learned when we're about two years of age. And you start to understand how to communicate. A little two-year-old says, it's not, uh, this is good, that's not good. One of the things, don't touch the remote. Daddy only touches that. It's a really good thing to communicate to a (laughs) two-year-old. Mama takes the ice cream. Mmm, baby goes, mmm, ah, that's good, good, good. And all of a sudden, but this man, through his entire life, never heard a spoken word. His ears were shut. His tongue, there was an impediment. He And even the groans he couldn't hear. But the man himself, with this impediment, both in his ears and his mouth, would feel the warmth of the sun, and in his spirit, in his soul, he would sense the warmth, and he would say, that's good. Good. A metaphysical term in a physical world. Good. Bad. Right. Wrong. No communication, but even in his 
in his soul and in his spirit, groanings too deep for words. He can say that is good. He'd feel the rain. Someone would give him a meal. But he couldn't communicate. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes up to him, takes his, his fingers, and the man's looking at him. And he takes his fingers. And he goes, your ears? And puts them in there. Afafatha. He's not speaking to the man. The man can't hear. He's speaking to the ears. The God of the universe who said, Yahior, wah, Yahior, light be, light was. The God who controls every atom, every fiber, every DNA. When we prayed for Liam and we put oil on him, it wasn't anything I'm doing. I don't have the gift of healing. I don't wear my hair funny and do a white suit and go, bam, bam. No, that's not me. It's the Lord, Afafatha. And when he does that, and, 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 and all of a sudden he can hear. And then Jesus looks at him and he goes and he goes and he touches his tongue and all of a sudden he begins to speak plainly where did that come from communicating where did that come from the God of the universe and what's amazing is when he had laid hands on him and he began to do this and he put his fingers in his ears the scripture says Jesus groaned he just said father with groanings too deep, I don't even know what to tell you. Just, oh, please. With Liam, God, please. I don't even know what a pituitary gland is. Please, God. Growth hormones, please. Please, Jesus. He does this. And all of a sudden, a man's life has changed. Nonverbal communication. Groaning's too deep for words. You see, the reason why I share this with you is because the peace of the Lord, and I want you to understand a relationship with the living God. The peace of God comes through nonverbal communication oftentimes. All I can tell you is when I am going through a living hell, all I can do is just pour it out to him. I don't even know how to describe it. Anxiety, fear, trepidation. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how to solve it. I don't know. I'm overwhelmed. Lord, what? please God help me the woman with a demon possessed daughter says she worshiped the Lord with three words Lord help me I can barely get those words out at times just Lord and then this nonverbal communication floods my soul with a peace that surpasses all understanding and my mind is stayed on him and I think how did you do that how did you do that I'm speaking, I'm hearing you, I'm moved by you, I have a different perspective, I'm wiser. What did you do? Perfect peace for those whose minds are steadfast on him, stayed on you. Lord, when I see you and I look at you, I can hear, I can speak. I speak your heart, I hear your praise, your wisdom. God, thank you. I share this with you because God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him and if you trust in him. King David, a man who understood trial, he understood struggle. 
King David said in Psalm 62, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Lord, please. If if I don't have you, I don't have anything. I need to focus on you in the midst of all of this. Jesus wrote in John chapter 16, he said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Calm down. I got this, Rob. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. He does have it. He always has it. And then in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church, and this church that had been with him for a year and a half that was now imploding in 1 Corinthians, he addresses them, he corrects them, and now the church is starting to become strengthened again in 2 Corinthians. And you, you come to find out through history, the church at Corinth became this instrumental organism to, to transform Europe. It was once a, 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 a subculture instead of a counterculture, and because of this re- relentless discipleship by the Apostle Paul, all of a sudden things begin to change. And, and Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What he's saying is, you're taking on a, a battle with weapons that are not carnal. These are spiritual. You need me. And all of a sudden he imparts that to the church and the church starts to realize, why are we not praying? Lord, you give peace when, when, we, when we, we pray and we give our supplication. And, and, and Lord, when we, when we pour out our heart to you with groanings too deep for words, all of a sudden everything is aligned because our mind is stayed on you, steadfast on you. Folks, we're going to prepare for communion, but we're going to do it this way. In the passage, it says perfect peace, perfect peace. The opposite of perfect peace is fear. We've already shown you how fear manifests itself in our lives. Some of you have addictions. Some of you have phobias. We can go through all of these things. I think of the story of the, the boy on the one summer night, the little boy, he's in his bed, and it's lightning and thunder, and a summer you know, thunderstorm, and shaking the windows and lighting it up. He's just paralyzed in fear, and he cries out, Mommy, Mommy, and his mommy comes in and says, What, sweetie? I'm scared. Okay, and calms him down. She gets up to go, No, 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 stay with me. I can't stay with you. I, I have to sleep in my own bed. Why? Well, that's where Daddy and I sleep. Daddy's a scaredy cat. Stay with me. <laughs> we're all afraid. We're, we're all paralyzed at some point. The enemy seems daunting and overwhelming. We like to pretend that we're brave, but we hide behind the wooden box as pastors. We don't want to engage the culture, just like the church at Corinth. It would come at a cost. We don't want to invite candidates in because people would mock us. We don't want to support political leaders because we'd be mocked. I get scared, we get threatened. But you know what? 1 John 4, 18 says, 
There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, fear's goal is to cause you to live in torment. I've been there. It's no fun. But perfect love casts out all fear. I don't have any fear when my mind is stayed on him. Seriously. Write me the most scathing email. Uh, uh, threaten me from, from the dais. Do whatever you want to do. I'm not frightened. What can you do to me? I have a relationship with the living God who loved me so much. He left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross died in my place. His blood was shed for the remission of my sins. I've been made right with him. I have peace with him. And now I have his peace upon me. And you think you can frighten me and paralyze me. I'm immortal until God's done with me. You threaten me with death. No, I will begin to truly live. I'm waiting for that. But you're going to have to get through a legion of angels to get to me. That's my God. That's my God. And you know what that allows me to do? Perfect love casts out all fear. I'm no longer afraid of you. I love you. No weapon fashioned against me will stand. These weapons are, are, are spiritual. They're not carnal. You're, you're, you're being controlled by another force. But I see you. You think... You think you're my enemy. You're the object of God's love. You're not my enemy. You're my opportunity. There's nothing you can say that can stop me from loving you. Nothing. You can yell and scream and I'll pray for you. There are times, and and I see this, this, this natural progression of fear. When we step away from the Lord and our mind's not stayed on him, fear begins with a thought and it comes flooding in, sometimes abrupt, sometimes gradual, but it'll hit you. It's like that little worm. It just starts working. It's like a virus. And then, and then it, this fear transitions to dread, and this dread transitions to terror, and this terror transitions to fright. And par- paralysis starts coming in. How do you conquer it? How do you overcome it? Impending threats. Impending threats. You know why people give threats? They want to manipulate you. We're going to vote you out of office. Please. I welcome it. And where were we? <laughs> we're going to sue you. For what? Good luck with that. We have fears of being alone. If I stand for this, I'm not going to have many friends. I'm not going to be liked in the community. Being alone by losing a loved one or another friend who has a different political idea. We have fear of divorce, fear of death, fear of loss. Life changes. I hate changes at times, and other times I love them. There's something refreshing about change. We lived in the same house for 14, 15 years. I was so ready to move after like two years. And we moved. I'm like, I'm never moving again. I hate moving. I love change. I hate moving. I came home yesterday and my, my wife, she just has this vision of what the house is supposed to be. And, and I'm like a sloth. I'm just weekends like, and I had to get up early, drive to Southgate and I'm there and I go through the whole thing and the, 
you know, speaking in tongues and the shofar's blowing. I'm like, driving home in traffic. I get home and Michelle's like, we're going to paint the floor of the garage. This is going to be awesome. She's got all the stuff moved out on the driveway. I'm like, we're just going to get this done. We're just pressure washing and just paint it out there. I'm like, she goes, we have the nine inch things for the rollers, but we need the 12 inch. Can you go to Home Depot? I'm like, Home Depot on a Saturday. It's going to be great. I'm like, no, it's not. I just want a nap. <laughs> and she's like, but we, and then, and then we have two graduations tonight. We're just going to go to them. I'm like, who are you? You know, and then we run out of time. No kidding. You just can't do all that. That's like a lifetime of work. Can you move everything to the side yard just so we can get it ready to go to the thing? I'm like a grumpy bear. You're Cali bear. I'm grumpy bear. But you know what? There's this zeal and this joy, and she's seeing this vision, and, and I, I just I don't want to change. I just want things to remain the same. We don't, we don't like retirement. We don't like changing schools. We don't want to go to a different area. We don't like job changes, life changes. That brings fear. You can have phobias like spiders. You can have all kinds of stuff that you just struggle with. Fear is the enemy of our soul. It's the enemy of our life. There's only one way to conquer fear. If you want to have a perfect peace, there's only one way to conquer fear. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. You're afraid of torment, but if you're right with God, you don't have to be afraid of anything. If you're right with God, you don't have to be afraid of anything. There's no torment for those who love the Lord. 1 John chapter 4 goes on to say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And he that does not know love does not know God, for God is love. In this, it was manifest the love of God toward us because God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Here is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. We're right with him. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He loved us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean my enemies? Yes. You were at enmity with God. And religion, Rilangari, you relinked. How did you reconnect with him? He paid the penalty for your sins, past, present, and future. You were never his enemy, you were his opportunity. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. If a man says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother, how can he, who he's seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And then finally, John writes, this is the commandment we have from God, that he who loves God must also love his brother. You, you want to get rid of fear? If you're right with God, you don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. How are you right with God? You keep your mind and your eyes steadfast on him. And he'll put you in perfect peace. And what's amazing is, you start giving him all these concerns and you cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Second Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What's amazing is 
you look at the Lord and you have fear and you, you pour out your prayers and your supplications with thanksgiving and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus and all of a sudden the fear gives way to love and all of a sudden you realize you know what I don't need to be afraid of them I don't need to be intimidated by them I get to love them love your enemies do good to those who spitefully use you people aren't the enemies they're the opportunities They're the objects of God's love. He loved you the same way. You get to love others the same way. So you walk in and all the arrows. And you're like. You know what you want to do with those arrows? You want to pull them out and shoot them back. You do that to me, I'm going to do it to you. You want to talk to me that way, I'll talk to you that way. Cut me off and drop the car. Cut me off and drop the car. And your chest is tight. You can't sleep. Your heart's pounding. You haven't even had coffee yet. And you're angry. Nobody wants to be around you. You're dying. Your blood pressure's going through the roof. You say, God, why? You're angry because you're afraid. You think they've hurt you. They haven't hurt you. You're immortal until I'm done with you. Rob, Yes, Lord. Do you think the nails held me to the cross? I'm God. Do you think when they hit me with a cat of nine tails, I couldn't have done something about that? Do you think when they put the crown of thorns on my head, I couldn't have stopped them? When they sucker punched me and they said, prophesy who hit you, do you you think I couldn't have done anything about that? I poured out my life for them because I love them. Rob, don't react. You die and rely. I was crucified, and as the Apostle Paul says of himself, I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ. No longer Paul who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. Lord, I want to die and let them see you. And what did he do when he was bleeding on that cross? He didn't say, you pathetic human beings. I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. No. He said, to telestai. One word in the Greek, three in the English. It is finished. I've paid for your sins. And then as they speared him and they slapped him and they mocked him and they spit upon him, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I love them. As Christ has loved you, so love one another. How can you love man who you see and still, how can you not love a man you see and love a God you can't see? Rob, you want to not be afraid? Yes, Lord. Then love. Love. 
And what happens is the spirit of fear goes away, but then when you love, then power comes in and love comes in and then you have a sound mind. You're not ready to snap. You don't need medication. You've calmed and quieted your soul like a weaned child within you. God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. And that is the work of the enemy. That's the work of the enemy. It comes through intimidation and offense, but we take no offense. You can't offend a dead man. I've been crucified. I'm dead. Try to offend a dead man. They don't care. What happens is he gives us a sound mind. Satan wants to drive you crazy. He wants you to hate everybody. He wants to blind you from the truth. He wants to just consume you with revenge. But then Isaiah profoundly says, through the Spirit of the Lord, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Folks, today we exchange fear for peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. It's perfect peace. Peace, peace. And we, re- we receive that by taking the fear and letting love overcome it. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Peace, peace. Peace I give unto you, not as the world gives peace, give I unto thee. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus with groanings too deep for words, even when you can't communicate. It's in the depths of your soul. But before you ever have the peace of God, you must have peace with God. His body was broken, that's the bread, and his blood was shed, that's the cup. Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. We're separated from him. We're at enmity with him. He came that you might have life. He takes care of the penalty by his body broken and his blood shed. And if you receive that gift, you have peace with God. And then comes the peace of God. Fear goes away. Love manifests itself as we love our enemies. And God does an amazing work in and through us to bless this world. Amen? So we're going to take communion. And we're going to... We're going to substitute fear for love. Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. No longer do I call you enemies, I call you friends. You get to do that with everyone out there. You don't have to be afraid of them, intimidated by them, paralyzed by them, or angry at them. You can love them because he first loved you.